It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Line. Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Napa Auto Parts in Baxter, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Nielsen Hardware and RV, your Central Minnesota Ice Castle dealer, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Ryan Moon. And welcome aboard this week's show. As always, plenty to cover this week. Matt Brewer from North Country Guide Service in Bemidji has got the latest on Rainy River. He'll also talk ice fishing up north and talk about his turkey hunting trip to South Dakota. We'll also talk Rainy River with Mandy Urich. Plus, Mandy has an incredible story on how she rescued an injured bald eagle that you're going to want to hear. All that and more on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors. And we'll kick off the show with our lake and field segment brought to you by Oars and Mine and Crosby. No matter what your goal is, pike, trout, walleyes, or bass, Oars and Mine gives you 10 different ways to get the bite. The next time you're in the Cuyuna area, Oars and Mine is a must-stop located on Highway 6 in Crosby. Up to Bemidji we go for the Up North Report. As always, Matt Brewer with North Country Guide Service joins us. And uh, once again, a ton of stuff to talk to Matt about this week. Had a great uh, hunting trip, it seemed like, out in South Dakota for turkey, so we'll talk about that here in just a bit. I suppose, Matt, we'll start off, though, everybody wanting to know about Rainy River. Uh, got a lot of people that have the itch for open water. Things uh, got a little tricky up there this past week with the colder temps, but uh, other than that, are they still having some luck? Yeah, I mean, fishing is fantastic from everything I'm seeing. Um, obviously, I don't have a first-hand report. I haven't dumped a boat in the in the water yet, but but I'm still seeing every day on social media. I'm seeing tons and tons of pictures and people making a day run up, and everybody is having some really good success. So it got interesting last week. I was <laughs> I was noticing some of the uh, the people having to to either break ice to get to get to the spots they wanted or you know, they'd get up there in the morning, and, and I think we talked about it last week, that they're they're running into an issue where it's freezing over at night, and then by by midday or late afternoon, it's uh, it's usually blown off or or melted away or broken up enough where, where you don't have to worry about it. But if you're one of the early birds, this could potentially run into run into some ice. But but the the overnight temps the last few nights have been really good, and daytime temps have obviously been been better. So. So it's looking good, and I've I've been keeping an eye on it because I'm going up there next weekend. I'm I'm looking at sturgeon, and uh, you know the river isn't open nearly as far as I was hoping it would be. So I'm probably going to have to put in at like Frontier or Birchdale, and I'm praying that we get good enough weather that it'll open up past Timber Mill, and we'll be able to launch uh, just east of town there. Um, that launch is pretty steep, and I don't know if they've even cleared any of the any of the ice off the the path or anything like that, but but that's the main thing I've been looking at. Uh, catching fish, it doesn't look like is any is any problem. <laughs> the fish are running like they're supposed to, and a lot of big fish being caught. So looks pretty good. I know the I know the wait at the at the access is, has been pretty long. So you know, and we are in the last weekend of the walleye season up there. You mentioned sturgeon as a destination now. For people up there too, Matt, these colder water temps, do they affect sturgeon at all, or do you think that everything's just going to be all systems go up there? No, I think I think it's going to be all systems go. Um, 
the only worry with sturgeon fishing is uh, some of the best areas, like out in Four Mile Bay and in the gap where they, a lot of times uh, the fish are staging or just starting their run, you know, people aren't going to be able to get to those spots. So uh, my suggestion if you're going up there chasing sturgeon is, you know, you, you look at where the ice line is and then find the deeper holes right right by the ice line and try to catch some of those fresh fish that are that are just coming up past. But, uh, but you you know, they're a little later to run. So, so it's... Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky, but uh, but it should still be good. I've been seeing some posts of sturgeon, and and you've got the native fish in the river too, so uh, you can fish them year round in the river. So, um, but numbers I don't think are gonna be huge until you know that ice line kind of passes Sportsman's and into Four Mile Bay there. So that's the story up on Rainy River, right outside your backyard, Matt. Uh, Lake Bemidji and uh, other lakes up that way, Cass and some of the surrounding lakes. Are people still driving out there? I mean, here we are heading into mid-April. Yesterday, I saw three trucks on Lake Bemidji, um, full-size trucks, and they they were using the excess, and everything looked just fine. I mean, they were they were having no problems getting around. I, I watched them driving around a little bit and and moving from spot to spot, and and I heard that the fishing on Bemidji has been fantastic for perch. I have not been out there. I've been taking the snowmobile still on some of the side lakes and we're still offering a special and, uh, we're still running trips. So, um, so if people want to get out pan fishing or, or they want to get out perch fishing, we can definitely help them out. Um, it's not like we don't have, have ice. We're still, still sitting pretty darn good. There's still a lot of fish to be caught and can't let the, can't let the, the ice deter you. If you want to go crappie fishing and you miss April crappie fishing, just go do it. Just got to do it on the ice yeah and you said some of those crappie lakes up by your way panfish lakes they're doing pretty good too huh yeah fantastic i mean the the bite is is really really good um and fish are starting to really move shallow now so so it's just gonna get better and better and until we can slide a boat in after them is the window for pout done matters that's still going well they're postponed i mean you can still you can still go and catch them but you're not gonna get the numbers that we were but you can still get after them. Um, they're not going to be super, super balled up or anything. Still able to go after them if, if a guy chooses. Pretty much the same areas. I mean, they they kind of hang in the same areas pretty much year-round. Um, just find shallow uh, shallow water adjacent to deep water. And somewhere along that break, you're probably going to find a pout if, uh, if there's a good population in the lake you're fishing. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk to you about, Matt, actually a couple other things, but one of them was your trip in South Dakota. You did some turkey hunting out there. Looks like a pretty good trip for you. Yeah, after after getting my butt whooped in uh, in Florida, <laughs> and we got to South Dakota and we got hit with uh, winter weather advisory, which turned into a winter storm watch. I, I was like, oh, here we go again, another another butt kicking coming my way. But we really hit it hard, and Tim Furch and I, and then we met up with Wes Gall from the Outdoor Report and a few of his buddies, and there were actually six of us. Kind of all shared information, and and it worked out very well. We ended up going six for six, which was incredible. And I, I don't even know how we did it, to be honest with you, because the birds were were very flocked up. But uh, but we did find some uh, some areas where they had started to break apart a little bit, or or were traveling back and forth uh, to regroup with smaller smaller groups that had broken off, and and were able to to get it done. So it's very tough like one of the coolest and toughest hunts i've ever been on looking back on it i i enjoyed every minute and i'm glad 
it worked out the way it did, you know, 25 mile an hour winds in your face. Couldn't even see the tree lines we were trying to get to when we were walking field edges. I mean, it was, it was crazy. But uh, also looking back, it's it's like, I okay, now that I did that, I don't think I want to do that again. <laughs> so I don't want to have to deal with uh, any more snow turkeys, but uh, but it was it was really good and, and harvested some really nice birds. So fun, fun time. And you were in the eastern part of South Dakota, because I think last year you were out in the Black Hills, right? Yeah, last year we did the hills, and this year I, I kind of wanted to try something different but I still wanted to go to South Dakota because it's nice and close. Um, so, yeah, we, we opted for the eastern side of the state. There are prairie tags, and, uh, and there's tribal tags, and, uh, you know, you can hunt turkeys in pretty much all of South Dakota. It's just a, a matter of which season you want to hunt, and it's kind of broken down into three or four different things. There's early archery throughout the state, and then you've got your Black Hills hunt, and you've got the tribal hunts, and then you've got your prairie tags that, that you can apply for. So... There's a lot of different ways to go after them in South Dakota. You just got to figure out how you want to do it and what time of year you want to go and go after them. So. Is it tough finding land to hunt on, Matt? Do you have to know somebody, or is there quite a bit of hunting land out there for people to find? No, there's plenty of land. You look at you look at some of the maps, like you pull up Scout Look uh, mapping or Onyx mapping, and and scroll over to South Dakota. You're going to see you're going to see plenty of spots to to hunt. And then if you do find some birds on public land, if you're hunting. Uh, kind of on one of the state tags most of the farmers that we encountered were like oh you want to kill turkeys and we're like well we can't because of our tag but but we'll keep that in mind for next year but uh the others every far almost every farmer kind of wants them gone they they get these huge winter groups of like 100 200 300 birds on their property and they're just decimating uh decimating everything they've all the work they've put on the ground um, and then they're, you know, they're in with their cattle and, and coming up into the yard for bird seed and, and the farmers are just kind of like, oh, just, we just want them gone. So you got to knock on doors just like any, anything else. And, and to get our turkeys, we just had to put in, we just had to be in the woods and we had to be patient and we had to put in a lot of, a lot of legwork. So we put on like five miles on foot and like over four of it was during that blizzard so just just hard work and and had to grind it out and there were several times where it's like let's turn back and then you're like nope forging ahead we're doing this we're here to hunt so it was fun yeah and i know what you're saying about farmers the first couple of years i hunted over in wisconsin when you go knock on doors and and i had farmers tell me shoot every turkey you see i'm like well doesn't work that way but uh you know they they they're just not uh they're not real fans of turkeys no, no, and it, it was kind of that way for us too. Every turkey or uh, every farmer, except for one that we ran into, was like, "Go shoot them all." <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. What are you hearing here, Matt? I mean, up by you, as we're getting closer to our turkey season, are, are you seeing quite a few birds? Because I've been seeing them here too, but they're still pretty hand up. Yeah, I mean, they're still in winter groups. Um, on the way to South Dakota, I actually threw my Bushnell wireless cameras out uh, on the properties that we have permission for that we hunt south of town and and uh i was getting trail cam pics of birds the entire time i was in south dakota so i, I kind of have a a little bit of an idea of what they're doing and and they're they're in a little bit of a pattern but we we have more more snow on the ground in the areas that we hunt per se uh, than than south dakota did prior to the storm but um but the birds 
you know they they don't really have it all figured out yet because they're not they're not able to to scratch for uh, scratch for bugs or scratch for new growth grass underneath leaves or scratching fields for um, for grain or or manure or anything like that they're they're kind of left with their own devices to try to find stuff in the woods and and uh, grasses on the prairies and things like that so so they're really scattered and they're um, I shouldn't say scattered they're really bunched up but they're but the the groups are really scattered and and uh, it seems like when I get a picture of a turkey it's it's I'm getting pictures of 30 40 turkeys and they're just kind of traveling around so it's going to be an interesting season I was planning to take my kids out for season a which is kind of our tradition that's what we always do and and I think it's going to be pretty cold and I don't know that they're even going to want to go sit in the snow in a blind and uh, and try to wait out a turkey because they're not real call receptive right now either. They're too grouped up, so it's hard to break them away from that. But but hopefully with some warmer weather, that'll change and they'll start to break up and, and the males are ready to go. You just got to get the big groups broken apart so that you can you can actually work the males uh, from the toms to you. So. One last thing, Matt, uh, you, in addition to everything else that you do, you guide for wild edibles as well. We were talking off air, you're a little bit concerned with this uh, late winter that we're having and lack of spring on uh, the morels uh, going into this year. That could be a problem too. Yeah, I, I've been getting some memories on Facebook and uh, like yesterday, last year, um, I was I was already running my first wild edibles trip and I, I was finding the morels in like a week and a half from now. So, so it's going to be weird. Um, and one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to jump straight from spring into hot summer or things are going to be kind of normal, but they're going to be late. So walleye season overlaps with morel season. The harder it is for me to get out. And, it, and if we get that jump straight from like winter to summer, you know, the morel season is going to be super short. So either way, it's a kind of a lose-lose for me, but... But I do have a little concern there because I have I have a lot of clients that <laughs> that want to get out and and uh, chase down some morels and and it's going to be a tough window. It might be might be a busy 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 two weeks trying to do ten things at once. Um, you know, usually your your morel season is kind of ending right right after you know not long after walleye opener, and then we kind of ease into open water guiding. But uh, but this year I think they're going to overlap. So. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting spring once we get it. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, right. Matt Brewer, North Country Guide Service in Bemidji. You can check him out at northcountryguides.com. Also check him out on all his social media as well. Matt, I appreciate it. Good stuff, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Okay, bud? Sounds good. All right, when we come back, Mandy Urich's going to join us. We'll talk a little bit more about Rainy River and some sturgeon fishing up there that Mandy likes to do. Plus, she's got an incredible story on how she rescued a bald eagle that was injured here recently you're going to want to hear. We'll chat with Mandy when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. And back with us on the show this week. Haven't talked to her for a while, but she's been quite busy, and that would be Mandy Urich. Uh, friend of the show, Mandy. Welcome back. Hey, Brian. Great to be back. World traveler. Actually, you've been. Uh, you did a little vacationing in Arizona. Had some fun down there. I got my much needed vitamin D, sunlight. Yes, it was awesome. Yeah. We've been lacking that around here, so it's nice to actually have that. So you got to do a little sightseeing down there, and you said it was for people that haven't been had a chance to go down there. Go see it. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, when I thought of Arizona, I thought of desert and, you know, non-green things. But I flew into Mesa, but I actually went up to Sedona. And it was one of, as a biologist, it was super interesting going up in elevation through the mountains, seeing the different biomes from, you know, the saguaro cactuses to the highland plains to, you know, conifers in the high mountains. And then crossing over this mountain, then your first peak is Sedona. It's red rock. And it's it's breathtaking. Definitely get out and go. If if nothing else, just to warm up and see some sun, but definitely uh, some beautiful things to see. So it's not just desert and retirement homes down there. No, it's okay. not. <laughs> uh, a couple things we're going to talk with Mandy about. Uh, number one, she has an incredible story as a biologist with a bald eagle that uh, we're going to talk about here in just a bit. Uh, one thing I did want to talk to you about, though, Mandy, a lot of people want to get up to Rainy River right now. That's the open water destination, as you well know. <laughs> right? People are getting frustrated around here. Ice fishing, you can get out there, but it's a little tricky. What are you hearing on, Rainy? We'll talk about it a little bit later on in the show, but you're hearing some things, too. No, absolutely. You know, So everybody gets excited. Rainy is open. You want to get up there. You want to get up there early before the forks blow out because then that's when you get your logs and your jams and things coming down and it gets a little bit turbid and changes the water clarity but yeah people got up there right away in the first you know three four days as it's opening up further down river fishing was great the temperature was great and then this arctic freeze came in and just shut everything down and for a while there the the river itself was actually refreezing for a little bit um and now it's it's opening we 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 got lucky they got lucky uh temps are gonna warm hopefully the snow stays off but it's it's the nth hour man Walleys closing soon, so if, if you want to get up there to specifically target walleys, you're going to have to do it now. Um, other than that, you can always get up there. It's my favorite to go sturgeon fishing. How do you like to go about that? Everybody's got a little bit different tactic for sturgeon because it's something not everybody targets. I think it's getting more and more popular with people, but um, what do you like to do when you go up there? Anything special? I don't think it's really anything special, but you know, a lot of people will drift with the currents, things like that, or they'll back troll against the current. Personally, if I'm up there, I've got my favorite honey holes for the sturgeon. So I like to get up there, if possible, if the flow isn't so bad, and anchor up. And that might take two anchors to get anchored up on there. Um, and I like to use a circle hook uh, with a no-roll sinker, depending on what the flow rate is, normally an ounce to two ounces, maybe three ounces, to really get that down there so it's not moving. And then just mush, mush on as many nightcrawler balls as you can on that, that circle hook and let her soak. How big of a sturgeon you ever caught up there? I've got a picture or two pictures. So 60, 66 and a half is my biggest one, and which is funny because the pic, the one picture I have, I'm standing straight up holding it, and it's bigger than me. I'm five foot four. I was just going to say, it's about as big as you, or yeah, maybe bigger. Exactly. <laughs> and then the one last year I, I caught uh, was almost mimic the same exact size, and that one I had laid across my lap for the photo, but oh, they're just they're just awesome. It's a prehistoric dinosaur fish. I mean, they're beautiful, they're gorgeous, they're tagged, you can follow them, so if you get one that's tagged, call it in, and I'll tell you how old it is, last time it was caught, where it was caught. I mean, these fish are traveling, you know, through the lake, up and down the river systems. It's just, it's really interesting. How long does it take you to get something like that boated? Because, I mean, like I said, we're talking a huge fish here. They fight like you wouldn't believe. Uh, absolutely. It depends on your tackle, uh, what you're using up there. I prefer to use bait casters just because it's got a better reel or drag system in it. But once you get a good one like that on, you got to pull the anchors, get on the motor, and you got to follow that thing because they'll spool you. They're, they're just not a drag system for fresh water for us that we have um, that can do it. But normally it's a good 40 to 45-minute epic battle, and you think you're going to get right on top of them. And then it's like, I don't even think they realize half the time they're hooked. 
they're just like, oh, I ate this, and I'm going to swim down here and see whatever. And you, you know, you're following as quick as you can to try to make up on the line so you doesn't you don't lose <laughs> your spool. Yeah, that's amazing. Is it kind of almost a little bit like musky fishing? Yeah, okay. except normally when you hook into a muskie, they know, Bam. yeah, that they're <laughs> caught and they're gone. But that same intense pull that that the fight of it that gets people addicted to muskie fishing is exactly what's going to get you addicted to sturgeon fishing. Yeah, and it looks like like we were saying with this, you know, semi cooler weather, we're not going to have that massive runoff, so that water shouldn't get too muddied up. I wouldn't think here for the next few weeks. No, I don't think they're anywhere close up there for either of the the Forks rivers to to blow out. So. You've got a window if you want to get up there. As Mandy said, get up there if you want to walleye fish. Uh, get up there this weekend because that wraps up. Something else I wanted to mention, magazine article you have coming up. Uh, you posted it on Facebook here a couple weekends ago, you on the, on the cover. Talk a little bit about that. Quite an honor. Yeah, I got a random phone call, and uh, it's a magazine out of northern Minnesota, and it, it's a women's magazine, like a Cosmo. You know, they've got their articles in there, and um, the editor was just like, hey, a word from a word from a word, you know, is this true? And I was like, well, yeah, we'd love to interview you. I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. Great. I love getting the word out there that, yes, women fish. We can do it professionally. We do all these other activities. So you never know when you do an interview what the spin or what the hook's going to be for that article. So I was completely shocked when I got the article back and the spin that she took. It made me a little sappy, It it, but it was perfect. You know, I don't really care about the accomplishments. I, I want to really reiterate what makes people do what they do. And the article was about my dad, you know, and about how my dad got me into fishing. And it wasn't, I like to fish with him, but that first trip and, you know, seeing how proud he was of me doing that and that leading into my college education, my career, you know, now my professional fishing career, and then also all my volunteer activities. So, yeah, I, she wrote an amazing article. And the name of the magazine? It's called Girlfriends Magazine. So if people want to check it out, there's an online version of it too, right? If people want to, yep. To... The uh, the online version just came out now, so people can can go there, click on it, and read the article. It had to have been kind of going through that interview process, a, a trip down memory lane for you, I, I would imagine, because like you said, when I first met you, I had asked you how'd you get into all this, and you right away said my dad, and so that had to have been kind of a neat thing too. It, it absolutely it was. The story that she asked particularly about was one of those ones I hadn't thought about. Not that particular where you sit down and say, what's the first fishing trip you ever remember? And it's almost going to be a year exactly from when my dad passed. So just the timing of it all, yeah, it was great. And talking about, oh, yeah, my brothers were there. And, you know, be able to pass this now to my brothers to read. I hand-delivered a couple of them to my siblings, and they, they were all, they just love it. Yeah, so get it, if you get a chance, check that out, too. A couple of events I want to talk to you about, too, before we get into the uh, Bald Eagle story. Uh, one of the events coming up is Friday night. Um, talk a little bit about that, Dinner with the Pros. Yes, Minnesota Fishing Hall of Fame, every year, um, for the last few years, has put on an event for the public. You can pay for a ticket, come have dinner you know, with your favorite pro, or buy a table. And it's really an honor. I mean, they take 25 pros from Minnesota, you know, handpick us, and then, yeah, there's games, there's prizes. Uh, we do a little tour at the museum, then we go over to the Falls Ballroom. Beautiful meal, you know, drinks. You get to kind of hear stories and play some games. There's a, a silent auction, so lots to do over there. Also, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, is the Reeds event at Rice Creek. So if you ever want to test out a, a shotgun or anything else, be hands-on with a crossbow or a bow, 
bring the whole family down there. I love it. I'm on the line right there with North Country Marketing, with uh, Winchester and Browning, and that's what we do. You want to test out a shotgun, we've got the shotgun. I put you on the line. We throw some clays. We figure out what best suits you. There you go. So check those out. Now, I wanted to talk to you about this bald eagle story because, first of all, if you get a chance, go to the Brainerd Outdoors uh, Facebook page. Go to Mandy's Facebook page. You will see the picture. When I saw this, I was absolutely mesmerized because, first of all, the size of these bald eagles, people don't realize it. Tell me about the whole thing. Start from the very beginning as to how this whole thing came about and how, you know, the end game, basically. So a good Samaritan had called in that, hey, there's an injured bald eagle. It had been there for almost a day where it was sitting at, um, you know, basically wanting to get some help for it, didn't know the process. I got the call actually while I was in Phoenix and I gave this, they knew who I was, so I gave them the information of who to get a hold of. And when I landed at 9 o'clock at night, I called that person back, said, hey, did you get a hold of somebody? And they're like, no, there's nobody in the area to do this. So I said, here's the deal. I said, you go check on that bald eagle in the morning, and if it's still there or you know still alive, I will come get it myself. So 7.30 in the morning, I got a map pin, and I got a picture of it. You know, and so I gave them a call back, and I said, I'm on my way. So went and got the, the eagle box from non-game, threw it in the back of my vehicle, and, and took off you know, hoping to find this, this eagle. And so I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I'm not exactly sure where I'm supposed to be. And all of a sudden I look up and I see an eagle flying. And I was like, okay, what's the chance that, you know, that's the eagle I'm looking for? And I look over, and there's this eagle. And it was one of those things, too, you're like, dang, that's a big bird. <laughs> so I'm saying that from 100 feet away. So Get out and by myself, too, you know, and that's the hardest. And normally we wouldn't go and do this by ourselves. There just wasn't anybody else available to go with me. And I knew that we were really on a timeline because it was cold. It was bitter cold. It's been down in the snow. We're not exactly sure how long it's been there. I mean, this is a tight timeline for a window to make sure that it's savable. So get the box out on the road, and it's kind of in a, in a tree grove. And I don't know if it's just how badly it's injured. So I'm making my, my way up there, and I've got my big leather gloves on and my thick jacket and my thick pants because I don't know if you ever looked at those talons, but those things are terrifying. That's the thing that I know on the picture. I was like, geez. <laughs> so I, I get up to this bird, and instantaneously it spreads its wings and kind of jumps up and sticks its talons out at me, and I was like, oh, he's feisty, I'm, which I'm happy because that means he's in better shape than I thought. But then the second time I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be interesting. So he wants to take off across the open field and he's flapping his wings. He just can't get up. So Was it a wing injury basically? Yep, okay. it ended up being a left wing injury. Um, so I, I had to run as fast as I could around him to try to force him back on the ground into the thick brush, hoping that the really clumsy, you know, on the ground and the snow was soft. And even as big as they are, they're really light. I mean, 10 to 12 pounds. But he, thank goodness I got him, and he kind of sunk into a snowbank at the same time he got tangled into a bush. But there's very, very specific handling of those birds because you want to grab them so you put the wings together, but you have to have it low enough so you can push them out. Because their head spins 180 degrees, and all of a sudden <laughs> you're looking at a beak that's you know almost six inches long with a giant hook that's four inches from your face. So I got the bird. And the snow's like up to my waist because all it's been blowing into this tree line. So I'm very carefully tromping. And the whole time his head spun back looking at me very intensely. And I'm thinking, okay, this is cool. Then I'm thinking, oh, gosh, please don't gouge my eyes out. You know, so I get to the get to the road and I got him into the box just fine and got the top off. 
And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I just did this. I just got to touch a bald eagle, like our national bird. This is cool. So I get it in my truck. And I'm cold because now I've been in the snow and all over the place and I'm driving. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, I can't have the heat on too high because he's been super, super cold and you want to regulate a system. So now I'm driving down the road and I'm wet and I got all four windows down (laughs) with this eagle in the back. And we called ahead to Garrison Animal Hospital. So Garrison Animal Hospital uh, also is a nonprofit uh, wildlife rehabilitation center. So they let him know, hey, I'm on my way. I got this eagle. Uh, left wing injury looks to be in fairly good shape. So what they do is they'll do an initial examination there. And if it's something that they can handle, they'll let the bird stay there. If it was something that maybe it needed surgery or something else, then it would actually get sent down to St. Paul to the Raptor Center down there. Okay. So we, we get it in there. And there's a tundra swan in the back, too, that had been brought in. And it's sitting there looking all nice. I pull this eagle out of the box. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and this tundra swan loses it, literally. I've never heard squawks and screams and wing flaps and things flying everywhere. Well, then the dogs start howling and barking. And now the eagle's hissing and, <laughs> and, and the tundra swan's screaming. And we got it into the you know into the, the cage for it. And I just looked at the lady and I was like, that was kind of intense. So, But good news. Ernie the Eagle, as I've lovingly named him, um, is going to make a full recovery. So they did their initial exam on him, and he got very lucky. It was just a bad sprain. But they said instantaneously he was he was eating, uh, he was taking water. So we're thinking maybe a week, two weeks tops until we can release him. Nice. And for those that are maybe wondering why they called you, I, I forgot to mention this at the very beginning, you actually have a history as a biologist for people that don't know that. Yes, correct. Actually, <laughs> this month is my 17th year anniversary as a biologist. Wow, incredible. So, and like you said, I mean, there are people, very few within the entire world that can say they've actually handled a bald eagle. Correct. And it's sad. I, I've handled a lot of bald eagles, but they've they've been deceased. You know, one's hit by cars or something like that, because there's actually a national eagle repository that we send those birds to. So they're not just wasted you know they get used in in colleges and schools or native american communities for ceremonies so yes how old do you think this eagle was it's really hard to tell i know it was mature you can tell because of the the head and the tail feathers were were white um and it was fairly large big wingspan you know maybe seven years i would guess and i'm thinking also this is just a guess though these eagles mate for life so I'm guessing the mate that was the mate that was probably circling above it while it was was on the ground. So. Nice. So when you go back to release it now, do you take it back to the place that you found it? Is that how it works? Or is there some sort of uh, procedure there? As I, well? Yep, I will for that one. It's it's doable for us. You know, it's within an hour drive of Garrison. Absolutely, I'm going to bring it right back to where I found it. Nice. Well, that's an incredible story, Mandy. And the thing, like you said that I found how you can walk up because these things are not friendly looking by no means. I mean, they have an intense look about them. And like you said, with the talons and all that stuff. It is crazy. When you look at that picture, that bird is three quarters of my total body. If you get a chance, once again, uh, check it out. uh, Mandy's uh, Facebook page. Uh, I'm sure you have it on all your social media as well. And then Brainerd Outdoors, we have it on our Facebook page as well. Uh, Mandy, great story. Uh, Great to have you back on the show this week. Uh, I know once open water happens, we're going to have you more and more 
on the show, and, and I, I don't want to be a guy that's going to predict things, but it's going to get warmer. We, we will get open water. I, I, I promise you that. But I promise you, or thank you for taking the time to talk to us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, sounds great. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. This time around, our famished fisherman recipe, as always, Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon joins us. Great crappie recipe this week, Joel. We got crappies and a green peppercorn sauce. So we're going to take up some uh, nice nice crappies. We're going to dice them up into just chunks, you know, skin them off and get nice little chunks out of them. Taste some diced shallots and some butter. Get that going in a pan. You know, throw everything in there, your shallots and your crappie. Grate a little lemon zest over top, squeeze some lemon juice in there, hit it with some white wine, and uh, add the green peppercorns. Let it cook for just a couple of, couple of minutes. You don't want to overcook your fish or none of that, but that's all there is to it. Question for you with the wine. When when you cook with, is it something that if you, if you like to drink it, you like to cook with it? Is yeah. that kind of how you look at things? When you say a white wine, would you go with a Pinot Grigio or maybe a Chardonnay? Uh, generally, I use a Chardonnay. Do you? Um, that's just kind of what we have in the kitchen, I guess, most of the time. But whatever you like to drink, whatever you have is kind of, you know, you don't want to go out and buy something that you're only going to use once. You know, you and I, we I think a couple of weeks ago we had a beer batter recipe on and you would use Jack Pine uh, beer. And you and I had, had asked you, you know, what kind of beer would not work for something like that. And you said, basically, if you like it, use it. Yeah. And that's what I've heard with cooking with wine, that's too. That's good is, advice. Yeah. So if you like it, use it. There you go. Well, if you want to give this recipe a try and a ton of other ones, simply uh, log on to BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the Recipes tab. we got this one and a ton of others for you to check out. And Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, as always, Joel, thanks. Thank you, Brian. And that'll put a wrap on this week's show. Once again, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 right here on B93.3. You can also stream the show live if you're away from your radio or out of town. BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com is where you can find the stream. Just click on the Listen Live tab. If you want to listen to the show on demand and stream it, you can find that at the bottom of the page. And speaking of which, we are now all over every podcast platform imaginable. So wherever you download your favorite podcasts, search for Brainerd Outdoors, subscribe, give us a great rating. We'd appreciate that. We're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and, of course, Podcast One. Or you can check it out, podcastone.com, or just download the free Podcast One app. Listen and subscribe at your convenience. We'll see you next weekend for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors. I'm Brian Moon. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, The Power Lodge, Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Growing Recycling, Napa Auto Parts in Baxter, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Nielsen Hardware and RV, your Central Minnesota Ice Castle dealer, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evening at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors right here on B93.3.